It might just be September, but it is finals week. That is the WNBA finals. That is the one of, and one of basketball's finest moments and weekends. The Naismith Hall of Fame induction ceremony just happened, and we are going to talk about it all right now. You are locked on women's basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hi, everyone. Happy Monday, friends. It is September 12th, 2022. Today's episode, I'm so happy to have you here. I am Missy Heydrich, and I am the National Women's Basketball College Basketball Correspondent at The Next. And so happy that you could join us here on Locked On Women's Basketball. Thank you for making this podcast your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at the handle that you see at Missy Heydrich. And then also be sure to follow the next at the next tubes and this podcast at Locked On Women's Basketball. Game one of the 2022 WNBA finals is in the books. We had the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame induction ceremony was this weekend. And now we get game two on September 13th. We are going to talk all about it. And I am so happy to be joined today by Jacqueline LeBlanc, one of the outstanding journalists that covers women's basketball at the next and beyond. She also just so happens to be on the Connecticut Sunbeat and does that each and every day. So she's the type of person that you love to have when you hit finals and that team is in it. All right, Jacqueline, let's start at the very beginning. I'm looking at a box score here. So if we want to just hit the highlights, a three-point win for the Las Vegas Aces over the Connecticut Sun. It was a great first quarter for Las Vegas, but a much better second quarter for Connecticut. And that's really where this thing became a ball game. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, another another slugfest from the Connecticut Sun, um, especially on the defensive end. So I think that's been a lot of the, a fun conversation leading up to this series is, um, you know, Connecticut really won the semifinals against Chicago with their gritty defense and um, a big high powered offense like Las Vegas, you know, how would they match up with, with the sun's physical intense defense and to, uh, to Connecticut's um, surprise, you know, uh, it matched up pretty well on the defensive end. That's pretty much all they wanted to accomplish. Um, they held Vegas to under 70 points and it looks like that was the first time Vegas did that all season. So all regular season, all playoffs, um, including a nine point second quarter, like you said, is really where Connecticut kind of went out and run it ran and really kind of made it a game. Um, so, you know, the Sun were really happy with their defense after the game, um, but a three-point loss, you know, only scoring 64 points, that was a season low for the team. Um, you know, it, it felt like they kind of missed an opportunity there on offense when they definitely had times to create separation, especially in that second quarter when they really had the momentum there. Um, and then even on the last play of the game, having the opportunity to um, tie the game and send it to overtime was kind of a missed opportunity there. Um, but defensive-wise, they're feeling really good. Um, offensive wise, you know, they'll need to make some adjustments. And it's some of the same struggles that we've kind of seen with this team throughout um, throughout the playoffs so far. We'll talk about offense in just a moment. I think one of the words that seems to have come up a lot over the course of the last few weeks when you talk about the Sun, especially when, when they hit the playoffs, is the term messy. 
it's kind of the buzzword around this team, right? So you got to just do a little bit of something to throw your opponent off. You just kind of make it so that they can't operate in what they seem to do. That messy philosophy seemed to be what was working for them, especially on the defensive end against Las Vegas on Sunday. Yes, absolutely. That mess, that, that messy word is definitely something um, that Kurt Miller has kind of branded throughout the entire playoffs. Like um, it started with Chicago, but it really kind of lends itself to Vegas as well. Like they need uh they need Vegas to play this way. They need to play physical. They need to play slow and sluggish, and they can't really let Vegas go off and find a rhythm. They were able to do that kind of in the second half, um, more so than the Sun, obviously. Um, but yeah, Messi has been a big a big term there. Uh, just one stat I wanted to kind of point out that Kurt Miller said was the big stat of the game after um, after they lost yesterday was their free throw um, free throws. So I believe. Uh, Vegas ended up shooting 17 free throws. Connecticut only shot three of five. So, you know, Miller didn't say anything about that, like being a refing problem. It, it was really attributed to the Sun need to be more physical and they need to be able to play through contact, especially on offense. You know, that's a real big part of their game, especially when a team like this does most of their work in the paint. They do a lot of rebounding work. They do a lot of offensive rebounding work. They can't end a game with only five, five, three free throw attempts, especially when Vegas is going to the line that often. Asia Wilson, I believe, was 12 of 14 at the free throw line. So she did most of that, most of that dirty work for them. Um, she was yeah. able to really come up big in that regard. So I just wanted to point out like one moment in the game that I noticed that you've kind of seen a couple times throughout the season um, is, you know, they kind of just said that they all need to do a better job at, at attacking the rim and being more physical and playing through that contact. There was one play at some point in um, the game where John Quill Jones had got the ball down in the paint and she ended up going low and Vegas was able to trap her and kind of force them into a, a three second violation when JJ should have just taken it up to the basket. And you actually saw on the broadcast, Kurt Miller, they panned to him and he was like, she should have, she should have just gone up. Um, so it's small adjustments like that, that, you know, Connecticut should focus on. And um, especially when it's a three point game at the end, you know, that, that is certainly a factor for, for this team. Well, I think that's the key. One of the things that you have to think about, right? So if you're three, you're talking about a one possession game. So when you can look back, which I'm sure, the coaches and now they, you know, they're going through film study today, looking at some of the things and we'll talk about game two a little bit later on. But in the reflection of game one, they did get early offensive rebounds, but didn't necessarily get them in the second half. And I think some of that is attributed and we'll talk about the aces in just a moment, but not necessarily when we take out the free throw numbers and not getting to the line. Did this Connecticut team, did they settle? Did they settle for jumpers? Did they were just not as aggressive to get to the rim? You can't necessarily make yourself a perimeter-oriented team against Las Vegas and kind of hope that that's going to be the right game plan. Yeah, definitely. And it's kind of this game felt very similar to, to game three of the semifinals against Chicago, where a similar thing it was a very slow gutty game you know not a lot was happening on offense it was very slow paced that way Chicago ended up pulling out a win was that was very much um 
in the hands of Connecticut at some point. So it felt very similar to this one as well. You know, Connecticut definitely had chances. They had a very low scoring second half, which Vegas did as well. Um, but, you know, Miller in the post game, he kind of pointed to that second quarter where Connecticut outscored them, I believe, 21 to nine. Um, there were missed opportunities, even in that second quarter where they were doing really well, missed layups, you know, grabbing those offensive rebounds, but not being able to come up with possessions. Um, easy situations there that could have, created more of a space and more of a buffer um, heading into that second half for the Sun. So little things everywhere, you know, whether it's um, at the end of the game and that final play or kind of just missing easy layups like they're, they tend to do sometimes. Um, also, you know, it pretty much came all from the front court for Connecticut, which, you know, a lot, a lot of their games and a lot of their success depends on that. Um, but as you saw in games four and five against Chicago in that semifinal series, Connecticut is best when they're a balanced offense, you know, when everyone in their starting five is is taking kind of a, a comparable amount of shots. Um, Dewana Bonner, Courtney Williams did not have a great night yesterday, especially shooting wise. Natisha Heideman, Odyssey uh, Sims, Dijanae Carrington off the bench were not very effective um, offensive wise in terms of production there. So just getting a more balanced offense um, in play for for game two, and especially getting your your guards involved and being able to to go off on the perimeter when you can, um, but also just kind of help spacing the floor and kind of moving that offense um, out of the paint, especially when it's clogged there. Absolutely. Okay, so let's flip the switch to the team that came out with a three-point win. And for all of our friends and listeners and watchers out there who just may have happened to be scrolling through their phone or saw it in their local newspaper, it seems as though Becky Hammond had a bit of a conversation, we will say, a very colorful one, it seems, with her team at halftime. Uh, almost a tale of two halves, I think, for Las Vegas. Um, and that their defense seemed to be kind of taken up a notch. She was not at all pleased with their execution really on both ends of the floor, but with their defense down the stretch by a few key players, Kelsey Plum doesn't have a great day from the perimeter, but it is the Asia Wilson and the Chelsea Gray show yet again for Vegas, and they came through big when it counted. Yeah, definitely, and, you know, Miller and a lot of the, the Sun players after the game attributed that to the Aces zone defense. Miller said, you know, the Aces are probably going to play more zone defense in this semifinal series than they have all playoffs. Certainly already more than they have against Seattle, I think is what he, what he said. Um, so, yes, that zone defense and being able to counteract counteract that Miller thought they didn't necessarily execute that super well. in, in the fourth quarter, um, Chelsea Gray spoke about their zone defense a lot and saying that there was a big focus at attacking the paint and going there first, and then being able to, to go out from there and, and being aggressive that way. Um, you know, you mentioned obviously Asia Wilson, Chelsea Gray are huge. <laughs> How could they not be? Um, but Erica Hamby was also kind of a little bit of an X factor in just the few minutes that she played in that second half, you know, um, being able to get those extra possessions. I think she got a couple offensive rebounds that le led to more points for them. Um, being up, being playing huge in that last play on the final game and being able to kind of stuff Dewana Bonner and um, suffocate the Suns' movement. They seemed a little stagnant on that final play too. Um, so just 
you know, Miller and, and Hammond and everyone in the postgame kind of just attributed that to, to Dierica's hustle and, and those hustle stats that don't show up necessarily in the end of the box score. But I thought she was a huge turning point for them. Um, someone in the postgame pointed out that she was kind of on the end of a, a big swing for Vegas. So when she came into the game, uh, Vegas was down six, I believe. By the time uh, Hamby came out, Vegas was up four. So being yeah. able to go in, provide those extra hustle plays, especially when Connecticut was so dominant on, on the rebounds. It seemed like Dierica and, and even Kelsey were able to get some of those, those ones that were really um, influential and kind of swinging the moment, momentum there. You mentioned it, Derica Hamby. She played just 11 minutes in the game, in the final game, number one, but all in the second half. And those are some big minutes and it doesn't seem like a lot, but coaches are asking players to come in and make plays she absolutely did that. All right, we're going to talk more about these two teams and what game two is going to look like on Tuesday, September 13th. But first, when we come back, we are going to talk about the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame induction weekend. And Jacqueline just so happened to be able to be at the press conference and some of the festivities this weekend. We will get a full rundown in just a moment. But first, betonline.net is your number one source for all of your pro and college football betting needs and sports info this season. Find all of the latest football league developments, game matchups, news, and podcasts, including this year's opening week games. BetOnline is also your continued source for all your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. The fastest and easiest way to check in on your favorite sports and events, including MLB, MMA, boxing, golf, Head to the website today and use your mobile device to learn more about trends and actions. And I will say, friends, I live in the state of Kansas, which where betting now is legal. And it is hard to come up with somebody on a weekend when you've got football and everything else going on and somebody's not on their phone on a betting site, but you want to go to bet online. Bet online is where the game starts. Hi, everybody. I am Missy Heidrich, and thank you for making Lockdown Women's Basketball your first listen every day. Okay, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Giannis Antetokounmpo, who is the most valuable NBA player this season? Locked On and Bet Online present the NBA Top 50 Most Valuable Players starting on September 19th. Find it on Locked On NBA when, wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. I am Missy Heydrich, and I am joined by Jacqueline LeBlanc. And Jacqueline, you had the pleasure of being at the press conference festivities for the 2022 Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame induction. And, you know, before we go to what, you know, kind of dive in, especially to uh, what we see it for women's basketball, but I always look at the Hall of Fame as sort of, it's it's kind of like a basketball royalty. It's a celebration, really, of some of the the best that have are part of this game. And I think that's what I um, attribute. It's a great honor. There's uh, some folks that were inducted this weekend that have been waiting a long time. Um, someone like Bob Huggins, maybe one of my favorite coaches in all of college basketball. I mean, he's just not only an amazing presence, but has gets the most out of his kids each and every season. And I know there were so many of his former players there in person just to honor him because it was something that they'd been waiting a long time. But people like George Carl and Tim Hardaway, uh, Manu Ginobili, who was introduced by Tim Duncan. But let's talk a little bit about some of the w the women's basketball royalty um, that were inducted this weekend. Uh, Lindsay Whalen, 
Uh, Lindsay Whalen played her collegiate career at the University of Minnesota, where she is now actually the head coach there. A two-time Olympic gold medalist, a five-time All-Star, three-time WNBA champion. I think Lindsay Whalen embodies a lot about what the Naismith is really all about. Yeah, absolutely. And it was so cool to see Lindsay um, in person. I don't think I've actually ever seen her in person at all. So that was kind of a, a starstruck moment. I was actually walking into the the theater where they had um, the press conference held at, at Mohegan Sun the other day. And Lindsay just casually like just walks in through the casino floor like she's any other like regular guest strolling the casino, just casually walks in with her entourage behind her. Marianne Stanley did the same thing a few minutes later, just like casually walking in when you know there are like secret back of house tunnels for for these people to go through so it's just so cool to see you know people people like that um you know at at mohegan sun just like in front of your eyes um is really awesome but Lindsay was great so they had a few different um basically they went went through the whole press conference and everyone had about you know eight to ten minutes to speak some had a few more questions than others um but Lindsay Lindsay was fun so she kind of talked about um her story of partying with Prince <laughs> after her third uh, finals, just very casually. I feel like I've heard that before, but just like hearing that story in person, <laughs> I was like, oh, wow, that's definitely a, a kind of a cool moment. Yes. Um, just like how nonchalant she was about it. Like, oh yeah, you know, we won, we won the finals. You know, it was probably, she said it was probably the hardest one that she had to win. It was the year they got um, Syl there. So Syl was there as well. And she said after the game, like their general managers, just came up to him and I think they knew that Prince was at the game. He was like in a suite or something. And they were like, Hey, Prince wants to, Prince wants to come party with you guys after the game. We're going to go to his house, like his house mansion. You guys yeah. can all come. Lindsay was like, yeah, you know, it was cool. She's like, Ben and I probably were there until like 3 a.m. And then we left. But then lots of players were there until till 7 or 8 o'clock. Um, so it's Amazing. funny to all hear yeah. like cool stories about that coming from them. Um, but probably my biggest takeaway from from Lindsay's press conference is um, they all have presenters for the actual enshrinement ceremony in um, Springfield, which was on Saturday. And someone asked her, I believe Lindsay's presenters were Charles Barkley and Don Staley. So um, I believe it was Charles Hallman. He asked her, you know, why did you choose to have those um, presenters for, for you? And you know, she said, number one, Charles Barkley was her favorite player ever growing up, which I never knew. That was a cool fact. You know, she said she had posters of them. She went all in on being a Suns fan. So Charles Barkley just really meant a lot to her. So that was probably a really cool moment for her. Um, but for Dawn, you know, she she kind of talked about how she really looked up to Dawn and, and Dawn and her have kind of followed similar similar paths, similar career paths out, out of basketball. You know, they're both point guards. She said Don's a point guard who she's looked up to for, for so long. And, you know, they also kind of had similar paths where Don was coaching, got her first college coaching opportunity while she was still playing in the WNBA. I believe right. Lindsay was still in the WNBA for one year when she got that um, coaching opportunity at, at Minnesota where she is now. So just, you know, how meaningful it is for, having someone like Dawn who's able to to show others that this kind of path is possible and it's possible to do it successfully it's possible to you know kind of balance both of those worlds and she said even today Dawn's still someone she goes to for for coaching advice and um you know just when she needs to talk to someone and she said it's such a Dawn Staley is oddly, obviously such a a cool and inspirational person and it's kind of humbling to see someone like Lindsay, Lindsay Whalen, who is literally a Hall of Famer, talk about, you know, 
how inspiring and how meaningful Don Staley is to, to her and her career. So uh, I thought that was just really awesome. Well, you mentioned coaches because Marianne Stanley, she has also been inducted NCAA champion, the WNBA coach of the year during her career. Uh, Teresa Shank Grintz was also a longtime collegiate head coach, uh, uh, incredibly successful. And the other player that I think is probably somewhat of a household name for a lot of people is Swin Cash. She played at the University of Connecticut and then was a four-time WNBA All-Star herself, two-time Olympic gold medalist, just like Lindsay Whelan, and has you know started a career in broadcasting and a lot of other different ventures. But I think Swin Cash also it, uh, kind of epitomizes and embodies what you're looking for in a Hall of Fame type player. Absolutely. You know, and Swin, um, she was at the end of the conference, so she didn't have as much time to speak as everyone else did, unfortunately. Um, but she talked about, you know, just how she was kind of molded through her career at her time at Connecticut. A couple of cheers being at Mohegan Sun in Connecticut. She's definitely got a home base here. So um, it was cool to kind of see her throw some of those throw some of those jabs in. Um, I saw a highlight of her actual enshrinement ceremony on Saturday in Springfield, and she kind of threw up that uh, the best college team was that 2002 UConn team. She's yeah. like, if you, if you didn't know about us, ask about us. Exactly. No, I think that's very true. And I think that's one of the beauties of something like the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame and the induction and the stories, as you were just saying, that come about both from on and off the court. It does highlight, it highlights greatness in whether it's coaching or whether it's um, general managers or people in front office or, you know, folks that have been part of the media, but then also really the people, the players, the players that are on the floor. And if I'm Lindsey Whelan and Swin Cash and you're standing there with the likes of, you know, Manu Ginobili and Tim Hardaway, I mean, those are some outstanding basketball players, you know, no matter male or female, we're just talking about some of the very best in the game. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to take a moment to to talk about Marianne Stanley and what she spoke about at her press conference. Um, so Marianne, obviously, all-time coaching great. She said in her conference that she got her first head coaching job at 23 years old, which is not super common Ooh. anymore. Um, but, you know, obviously played at Immaculata with Teresa Grenz, who was also there, which is really cool that they were able to be inducted in the same year, playing on the same team, going through those championships. They both talked about, you know, how back then it was kind of improbable that like a little school like Immaculata, Immaculata College was able to to have that amount of success and you know, be able to do that. Um, but Marianne, you know, she was asked a question about about Title IX, which she kind of sounded surprised about. She said she wasn't, she didn't know she'd be getting this question. I'm not sure if that was sarcasm or if she genuinely, um, you know, didn't didn't know that. But um, I didn't know that she was the coach at uh, the University of Southern California when when Lisa Leslie was there. Um, so that was, you know, a cool thing to to learn. She talked about that, but also she there was um. A Title IX lawsuit that she filed at her end of the time there, um, which I didn't know much about before before Friday. But Marianne talked about how, you know, her contract was up. She had a successful team. You know, they were going to the tournament consistently. I think on her last year, they lost in the Elite Eight to a Cheryl Swoops team, um, you know, which isn't too shabby. But, you know, she was brought there to bring USC back to, to their heydays of, you know, national success. And she was well on their way to doing that. You know, they had a great player like Lisa Leslie. Tina Thompson was coming in soon. Um, but she came to an end of her contract. 
basically she thought that she deserved a more equal contract that was much more equal to um, the men's coach at the time. And, you know, she brought that concern to the athletic administration at USC talked about, you know, she thought they did the same jobs. She was held to a higher expectation because it was, you know, national championships were the mindset and um, kind of just the expectation when she was hired and she felt like she was really bringing them there. Um, She spoke to the men's coach, asked for advice and, you know, how do you think we can get more on a a level playing field? You know, we do the same job, we do the same work. How can we achieve equal pay in that way? Um, And he told her that, you know, she should really kind of come up with other opportunities or other instances out of side of base salary that she can be compensated. So she met with the, the administration you know, put everything out on the table, why she felt, you know, she needed equal pay, other opportunities to kind of achieve more of that. And they came back with an offer that she called insulting. So, you know, after that, she, she figured, you know, she needed to take a stand, you know, not necessarily for, for the money, but also just kind of like, you know, I believe it was 1993 at that point, you know, uh, Title IX is almost, I think, 20, 21 years old. So you, she really wanted to take a stand for, for equality in women's sports and, and women's coaching and, and all of that. And um, she filed a case and, you know, she worked with an attorney. They decided to take it to federal court because it's a Title IX is a federal um, lawsuit. And, you know, she kind of talked about that journey and, and kind of what she experienced on that run. Um, unfortunately, like her appeals were eventually denied. It didn't actually make up, make it to the Supreme Court. Um, Um, but you know, she kind of felt like that was kind of the way of of title nine and equality and kind of relaying it back now, you know, it's kind of sad to still hear about this, you know, 1993 was almost 30 years ago now, and people are still kind of going through that. And women are still fighting for equality. Women's sports are still fighting for equality, especially in pay, but also resources and and support and, and all of that. But, you know, it was, Marianne was really thoughtful about it. And it it was really cool to hear that from her perspective. And, you know, she still, still to this day, she says every time she hears about a coach who, who gets her due or gets their due or, you know, women's sports is getting the equal due that they like, um, you know, Marianne, she said she's in the back clapping for them, (laughs) you know, absolutely. Well, you look at her and I would say she and Teresa Grants, they are two names that are on a list of people that have been trailblazers, trailblazers, trailblazers for women's basketball, but trailblazers, I think, for college athletics in general, um, kind of sets the bar and continues to raise it as we go forward. And I think those things, they just create more and more opportunities as we look forward. All right, we're going to take in just a minute. Next up is game number two of the WNBA finals. They are in Las Vegas on Tuesday, the 13th. We'll dive right into it and what you are going to see in just a moment. Hi, everybody. It's Missy Heidrick here at Locked On Women's Basketball, Jacqueline LeBlanc. Jacqueline, let's talk now. Game number two, it was a three-point win by the Aces on Sunday, 67-64. They stay at home, home court advantage, someplace that they have loved to play. It becomes a very difficult um, environment for someone to go on the road and have to go to Vegas. But game two is going to be now Tuesday, the 13th of September. When you think about kind of what the coaches have said, maybe in their post-game comments, you know, we probably could drill down into some very specific X's and O's. But if there was something that comes out of that, that maybe some adjustments, some real keys from game one to game two. First, let's talk about Connecticut. 
What do you think is on the table? What are some of those discussions going on at practice today and tomorrow in their pregame as they get ready for game number two? Yeah, well, you know, first after the post game, it was it was John Quill Jones, Alyssa Thomas, and Brianna Jones. They're all leaders on this team. They're all veterans on this team. They came after the post game, and they were all very like cool, calm, and collected. You know, they said they were excited for game two. You know, they they had all the confidence they needed. Alyssa Thomas said, you know, a three point loss to Vegas, holding them to sixty seven points, like right. we're confident. You know, we're looking forward to that game. And you know, Alyssa Thomas said. All you need is one game in, in Vegas. So they're going to come out with a lot of firepower, I believe, you know, kind of comparing it back to the semifinal series against Chicago. Like I said, this game three, this game one um, against Vegas felt very similar to, to game three against Chicago where they lost. Um, and for the team, that was kind of a turning point for them. It was kind of a wake up call and they felt like they really were able to, to get their confidence kind of locked in and, and felt that way. And, you know, I feel like they'll kind of approach this, this loss as well. So, you know, offensively, they need to make shots. Um, they need to do a little bit better job, you know, getting more of the offense involved. Like I said, Dewana Bonner, Courtney Williams, Natisha Heideman, they're all huge in, in kind of spacing the floor, getting those op open shots whenever they're available. You know, Kurt Miller wasn't worried about Dewana. He said, she's a champion. She's a champion. Everyone looks up to her on this team. You know, <laughs> they're all confident that, um, you know, she'll, she'll be able to make their shots um but you know I feel it feels silly to say like that this team just needs to make open shots and, and make those easy shots but I've heard that so many times especially through the Chicago semifinals you know even Courtney Williams said you know it's such a silly thing to say like just make shots but sometimes sometimes it's that simple James Wade you know echoed that sentiment earlier um in their semifinal series as well after that game one loss where Chicago just wasn't themselves offensively and they were missing a lot of open looks or a lot of looks that they usually made, you know, after that, he was real cool and, and calm. And he was like, you know, we just need to make shots. We'll make shots. It's that easy. <laughs> and then they had a, a crazy offensive game. So, you know, that's definitely part of it is, is their confidence and kind of the fire they come out with. Um, it goes back to also having really good first quarters, which was a big focus in that Chicago series. You know, Connecticut doesn't always start off on the right foot. Um, yeah. And that happened on, on Sunday, you know, Vegas came out to a 21 to nine lead. And, and at the end of the game, it's still a three point deficit for Connecticut. So need, they need to come out in that first quarter and kind of attack real hard in that, in that first quarter, which I think, you know, will definitely be a big focus for them. It's a bit been a big focus for them throughout the playoffs. Um, John Cole Jones, I'd like to see her be a little bit more aggressive. You know, she had a pretty well-rounded game um, the other day, scored 15 points, but you know, she didn't score in the fourth quarter needs to be a little bit more aggressive that way. Like I said, kind of being more aggressive with going up with shots, drawing contact, kind of getting to the line, but also kind of, you know, man man uh, managing the paint paint that way. So um, offense is going to be big. And then, you know, defense continuing what they've been doing. Obviously, this is how they want to play. Obviously, it worked. You know, they held Vegas to under 70 points. Yep. Uh, I think it'll be really interesting to see, you know, kind of, how they approach defending Chelsea Gray, not that you necessarily can defend <laughs> Chelsea Gray at this point, you know, which I'm sure is a big conversation in their locker room. You know, do you, um, Alyssa Thomas did a really good job, I thought, in the fourth quarter defending Chelsea Gray. Chelsea was only two of six in the fourth quarter and she had two turnovers. Um, so that was really good, you know, for someone who's been shooting the lights out like Chelsea has all playoffs. So, um, you know, do you focus on having Alyssa guard Chelsea and kind of lock her down that way? even though, you know, 
locking down Chelsea Gray, you're, you still might get a 20 point performance out of her? Um, or do you send AT to kind of help manage Asia Wilson in the post where, you know, when Natisha Heideman was on Chelsea, you saw Asia kind of help her, um, sorry, Alyssa helping on Asia um, defensively. So I think that'll be an interesting adjustment. Um, but defensively, they have all the confidence in the world. So um, be excited to see how they come out tomorrow. Well, I think that that's interesting. And you go back to what you said, you know, everyone always says just got to make shots. Basketball can actually be a pretty simplistic game. I mean, it ultimately, when you make shots, you gain confidence. It slows down the other team. They're not allowed to get out on the break. You know, that's what Vegas is going to do. If you're going to make shots on the other end, instead of them getting long rebounds and heading down a transition, they've got to get it out of the rim. They got to get it out of the net, inbound that basketball. And it changes the flow of what Las Vegas can do offensively. I think a couple of things that you mentioned, they've got to get to the free throw line. That's going to become more aggressive. And if you can knock down some perimeter shots, then that does change how Vegas is going to have to guard you because they've got to honor that. If they're going to play this zone, as we've said that they did, and that was, a, I think, a factor in creating maybe some uh, hesitancy, not as aggressive, especially in that second half of what Connecticut probably needed to be then they've got to find those gaps and you're going to have to attack that zone. One thought that came or one thing that I was drawn to, we know that Kelsey Plum for Las Vegas did not have a great game offensively. She plays 32 minutes like she normally does. She's just one of nine from the field, one of seven from behind the three-point line. So is it seems to me that, and we see this a lot, whether it's in the pros and the college game, sometimes coaches, you say, all right, we're going to pick our poison, right? So we're going to say, we're going to, we know Asia Wilson and Chelsea Gray are going to get theirs. Can we contain Kelsey Plum? Can we keep that scoring minimalized, which in all reality, you do a really good job of locking up other players. You hold them other under 70 points and that puts you right there in the ball game. It seems to me that if I'm Connecticut and you're looking at this Vegas team and they beat you by three at home, that defense is really probably what's going to win this thing for them when push comes to shove. Absolutely. Yes, for sure. And, you know, also kind of going back to Connecticut's offenses, they need to make separate, like they need to be able to create separation whenever they have the momentum, like you were talking about offensive rebounds, you know, Connecticut won the rebounding game, but it felt like Vegas grabbed the most important rebounds of the game. They were able to keep some of those possessions where they weren't able to capitalize, keep those possessions alive and create separation that way. You know, Hamby had those two big offensive rebounds. Um, Kelsey Plum, like you said, was one of nine yesterday, but it felt like that one basket she made, that three-pointer she made in the fourth quarter might have been one of the most important scores for them all game. So, you know, if Kel you're going to keep Kelsey Plum to like three points, but those three points are what, what settles the game. Yeah, I mean, that's one possession, right? So, I mean, you really do, you're doing exactly what you're trying to do. You're playing good defense. You're trying to control those possessions, but that that's really what finals should be about is that this should be a possession by possession game. I don't think anybody was looking for any of these games to be blowouts, that they are going to be and go down to the wire, which A, is going to be fantastic for fans. And I think it just makes the basketball and the level of the game even better when you can get there. All right. So before we go, let me ask you, you saw the game on Sunday. They're going to have today as rest and preparation, go over film, do walkthroughs, all the above. Play tomorrow, Tuesday, September 13th in Las Vegas. 
give me your prediction. You've seen these teams. You've seen them in person. You've watched a lot of Connecticut Sun basketball over the course of this season. Some of the things that they did really well, some of the things that they could improve on. What is your thought going into this game tomorrow night? I think, I don't know. I think after the Chicago semis finals, I feel like I need to stop predicting game outcomes, <laughs> but I think, you know, I, you know, Connecticut has been here in before they have been in this position. They've waited so long to come back to the finals. Right. You know, Alyssa Thomas, like she said, all you need is one. And then you go home, get two at home. Anything could happen. Um, I think they'll really focus on kind of momentum and confidence and just having fun and being themselves. Like they talk about that so often when when their offense is working, when their offense isn't working. Like they just need to play like themselves. They need to play like they're having fun. Um, I think they're going to come out with all the confidence in the world, knowing that they kept Vegas to to under seventy points and at in Las Vegas with a crowd of more than like ten thousand really loud fans. Um, so, you know, I think they'll make the adjustments. They said in the post game, you know, JJ talked about how they missed a lot of shot clock violations. She's like, that's an easy fix. So sometimes, you know, from Connecticut's perspective, I think these are small, easy fixes that um, are going to be good adjustments that they'll be able to make. So um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Connecticut pull this one out and split the series and in, in these first games at, in Vegas and, um, you know, come back to Mohegan with that momentum. So well, I'm going to say that, that. <laughs> but we'll see. <laughs> I like it. No, I think that's great. And like you said, it just takes one and that evens this thing back up again and it comes to Connecticut and it has a very different feel and a very different look. I, I think that knowing that, again, they didn't maybe play their best, but it is just a three-point win. And it took a very colorful halftime speech by Becky Hammond to put the Las Vegas Aces in a, in a position where they had to kind of get their house in order in the second half where they may have been blown out of their own gym. You know, they really had to make those adjustments. Um, credit that, but that's, uh, you know, that's a that's an old point guard mentality right there. She knew she had to get those players ready to go in the second half. All right, Jacqueline, thank you so much for joining me today. Where does everybody find you when you're out and about and, you know, on social media and all of the above? Well, on social media, you can find me on Twitter at Jack D. Leb. It's J-A-C-Q-D-L-E-B. And then, of course, at thenexthoops.com, um, I will be at the Connecticut game on Thursday night, 9 o'clock start Eastern time. Um, that will be a late one, but I'm sure it'll be a fun one. Um, we'll have something come out of that. And then, um, yeah, I'll be uh, online tomorrow as well. So Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And you can find me at Missy Hydric on Twitter. And all of my amazing colleagues, including Jacqueline at The Next Hoops and right here on this podcast at Locked On Women's Basketball. Thank you for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen every day. Please join us all this week for more episodes. It's going to be all the latest news and notes and insight and breakdowns from these WMB finals. Game two on Tuesday the 13th, game three on Thursday. There's going to be front office moves, players moves, everything in the WNBA, and it's going to be right here on Lockdown Women's Basketball. And keep in mind, ladies and gentlemen, the college basketball season is right around the corner. We are going to keep you up to date and get you ready for that as well. For your second listen, get up to date on the latest news and rumors in the NBA in just 30 minutes every day with Lockdown NBA. Lockdown NBA is your daily NBA update in just 30 minutes. Thank you, everybody, for watching, for listening. I'm Missy Heydrich, and we will see you again soon right here on Lockdown Women's Basketball.